At present, over 20,000 children in the Tees Valley are eligible for free school meals and new figures released by the Trussell Trust reveal that food banks in the area saw a 40% increase in reliance during the COVID-19 pandemic. During Easter, the Conservative government gave families eligible for free school meals a shopping voucher of £15 so that children could be fed during the holidays. Yet 322 Conservative MPs voted against Labour's motion for this to be extended. This triggered a huge reaction in the Tees Valley, where businesses and individuals began offering free food to those who needed it. In this episode, how can we reduce child poverty in the Tees? I'll be talking to the people working to help our vulnerable children and their families in this area. One business who stepped up to offer free food and essentials to our children was Beer and Beer. I spoke to their owner, Michael Keane, a former secondary science teacher and manager who runs the town centre bar in Middlesbrough. It was in, it's in the early stages, really, of being an established business, but just with the whole Marcus Rashford thing, really, it started. We saw his campaign to obviously feed the school children during the holidays and with, with the government not stepping up and saying yes we would we just thought we cannot let some of the people some of the young people in this town go without food over the holidays um as a former teacher as well i taught in secondary schools in middlesbrough for 12 years and some of the poorest schools for 12 years and some of the levels of deprivation you see as a classroom teacher is it's astonishing some of the kids, they only get one meal a day and that's at school and the homes they come from. It's heartbreaking to see really how these children live and knowing that and seeing these children and knowing that they weren't going to get fed over the half-term holidays. We just, myself and Sam, we just couldn't couldn't allow it really. We just wanted to do our own little bit, as, as little as we could, but to just try and help a few families out. So we, um, we put a post out on Facebook and just asked for any donations of any food or any money donations, if you could spare a couple of quid, just to try and put some food hampers together. And within two days, the bar was full of food. It was unbelievable how much the community stepped forward and and helped out and how much people wanted to help out. And it wasn't just two or three people donating. It was dozens and dozens of people donating and even some people donating, like I say, just a couple of quid here and there and it just made such a massive difference and then once we got the hampers together because the way we decided to do it, it wasn't just sort of offering offering a meal for a child during the holiday we tried to put food hampers together so that they could actually provide decent meals for those children breakfast and lunches which they would miss out on at school so there'd be breakfast clubs and lunch obviously the free lunches that would get school that they were going to miss out on those two meals a day so we decided to put together hampers of things like cereals uh, tinned foods, bread, anything they could make lunches with really. And like I say, the bar was full of food after a couple of days. And then we put the post out for families that would like a hamper if, or want to put the names forward for somebody they thought would benefit from one. And it was quite slow to start because I thought people sort of stigmatised by it. They didn't want to put the names forward. A bit embarrassed to put the names forward, but in the end, we managed to help about 35 to 40 families took the hampers. And then again, when I was delivering some of the hampers, just you see how these people are living and it's appalling that they've got to live like that. And these children are in this situation through absolutely no fault of their own. 
Next, I caught up with Dan Paskins, Director of UK Impact at Save the Children, to define what do we mean when we say child poverty and how children living in poverty measure up next to their peers. So, Dan, um, welcome to Teesside Digitally. Uh, you're, you're calling us from Reading. Uh, I know Reading well. Uh, we uh, Once upon a time, we were in the same division together. Uh, in fact, are we back in the same division playing footy? Or are you guys back in the Premiership? No, no, no. Sadly, sadly we're, we're, in the, we're in the Championship as well. So, uh, yes, but uh, lovely, lo- lovely to be on. And thank you for the, uh, th- yeah, thank you for the invitation. Listen, we've been talking about child poverty and, and I've been out and about. I've visited a project that is providing food for children. They started off doing that just during the lockdown, but they've continued recognising that, that child poverty is an issue that isn't just around COVID and it's not just around holidays. Um, but when we talk about child poverty, what like what do we actually mean like to say that children are in poverty what practically what are we facing here what are we talking about so save the children works all over the world um to help children and obviously you know when we talk about poverty often we think about the situation maybe in africa or in other countries where children are are starving or maybe you know can't you know can't go to school or experiencing violence i think when when we look at the uk I think one thing that's really striking and you know, obviously very, very sad with this pandemic is actually some of the problems facing children all around the world and children in the UK are actually quite similar. So there are children in the UK today going hungry. So I think when we talk about child poverty, it's worth thinking about two things. One is about those sort of really basic needs. You know, so you know, being 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 able to um, you know, to, to 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 eat, making sure you know we, we've helped families with you know um, cots and beds and you know just sort of somewhere to, somewhere to sleep, some real practical things, um, uh, so being able to eat, eat a hot meal, you know, having a cooker, some of those real basic needs, um, sad to say many families are going, are going without. And also I think it's about being able to sort of take part in the things that you know, kind of all, all children should enjoy. And you know, it's, it's not that that's not necessarily about starvation, but when you can't, you know, when you can't enjoy, a, you know, a Christmas, when you can't go to a, a, a friend's birthday party because you haven't got enough money, um, you know some of these, some of these real, um, you know, real, real basics about what makes a good childhood. Poverty um, means that means that some children are missing out from that point of view. So both, you know, just just you know, having having basic needs and having what you need to be able to really flourish, have a good childhood, and then fulfil your potential. That's I think what uh, child poverty is, is all about. There are some things that all children, I think, growing up in the UK, should should enjoy, and that should just be something you know, which you know, we're we're a rich enough country to be able to provide the best for all of our children. And at the moment, too many, too many are missing out on, on some of those really important things. The coronavirus really highlighted that. And, and also what it does is I think it mobilised ordinary citizens to get involved. And so charities like yourself and ones we sp- spoke to for this podcast have recognised that there was poverty there before the crisis, but it wasn't maybe as seen where it feels like it, it's been highlighted in so many areas now. And then obviously Marcus Ratchford doing his campaign but the initial response that he got initially particularly during this holidays was that actually poverty in the UK is a choice that people are uh, make decisions between how they spend their money and it's a failure of those families to be able to budget well enough is the reason why those children won't get Christmas presents or they won't get fed what are your thoughts on that? So I think there's always more that can be done to sort of help parents and um you know with 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 things like budgeting but i'll tell you i'll tell you what like 
you know, whether you look at the numbers or you, or you hear the stories, that's not really what's going on here. The, you know, we, we hear we support parents who are often, they're, they're skipping meals themselves to make sure that their children, you know, get a good meal. They're putting, they're putting their children first, you know, and they're the, they're the ones who are, who, are, who are missing out as a result. That's what's happening. Um, I mean, anyone who says it's just about budgeting, you know, should, should, should try it for themselves. The, it's, it's, it's really hard on the amount of money you get to uh you know to, you know just to, just to be able to keep going to feed the family to juggle all the other um bills that you get you know with 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 children we know we know in september for example all the cost of new school uniforms you know there are all there are all these different different costs and even if you're a financial genius it's really hard um to keep you know to, to, to keep up with keep up with all these costs so it's and, and people think as well it's about sort of people are out of work and obviously you know it's sad to say there's a lot of people out of work you know there's potentially going to be a lot more you know with the economic problems that we're having um, but also, there's lots of people. Most people, most children living in poverty are growing up in a household where at least one parent is working. It's been t- it's been tough for any pa- for any parent, you know, during this during this pandemic, juggling everything. It is that much harder when you haven't got much money. And I, I think I think rather than criticizing parents, I think we should actually be really, really, really grateful and really supportive of how parents have like helped their kids through this pandemic. And I think there's more that we can all do just to help out, really. If we are to really tackle child poverty, like. What else needs to happen? It can't be just about making sure that children get food hampers and that schools are given vouchers. Like, is is there anything else that needs to happen for us to lift these families out of poverty? There's a, there's a few things that need to, need to be done, and I'd absolutely agree with you. Um, Save the Children has been campaigning together with Marcus Rashford um, over the last few months. It's amazing the work that he's done, and actually. At the time when you know there was the vote in Parliament, the government decided not to help children. The way that so many people sort of uh, said, "Well, if the government's not going to help, then then, then we're going to help." So um, the obviously with all the problems over the last few months, it's been the children in lower income families who have lost out the most from the from the not being able to go to school. Obviously, schools are now open, but you know there's lots of isolating. Um, you know, if you don't have a, if you don't have a laptop, if you don't have sort of place to play outside. It's those children who have really sort of suffered over the last few months. So where's the catch-up support? Where's the help to really help children learn? And that needs to be both school-aged children, but also really thinking about the youngest children, um, because it's in the early years when the sort of brain really develops. And that support to enable parents to play with their children, to enable children to have a really good start in life, is what will set them up. And all the evidence shows this, to be able to succeed in the long term. And we think about as well, like really listening to children, listening to families about what matters. So not having a sort of you know government government in Westminster just making all these decisions, and if I'm honest, not really thinking about children. And you see this quite a lot. The you see it with the free school meals that you know the government decided not to do something that had to change. You saw it with the exam results, the government you know decided to do one thing that had to change. This isn't a government at the moment which is thinking a lot about children and thinking a lot about well what makes for a good childhood. Wow, that's a really really important point, isn't it? That if we can all come together communities, localities, regions, politicians, then then we could start to make a dent on this. Um, but you're right, it's just never spoken about. Um, I was speaking to uh, Beth Farhart, who is the TUC regional uh, secretary in the northeast, and she was talking about jobs and she was talking about some research just done by IPPR that has said that uh, actually we've got devolution now, we're getting these devolved governments in in our regions or, well, devolved decision-making bodies and at the moment there's no focus on children at all uh we have a tees valley mayor here in the in in 
in this region who up until the Marcus Rashford campaign had never once spoken about child poverty and and so that shows you where it is on on their agenda for devolution it's all about business and economics but actually you're right if you don't lift children out of poverty if you don't give children the best start in life then who are our future wealth creators who are the who are the people who are going to bring prosperity not tomorrow but in 20 years time uh, we we need to get behind our children and 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 ensure that every child has the right start in life that that we don't just perpetuate this cycle of those who succeed continue to succeed and those families that aren't succeeding economically now are stuck in a cycle for for generations so so the work that you're doing and and what you're how you're campaigning i think is is absolutely vital um how can we support you in the tees valley what can we do to support the the big charities like yourselves um because we really value that voice that you do have into government and being able to represent children like you said you know children don't stand in parliament they they, they're not often seen but you are amplifying their voice so what can we do to amplify our children's voice and also support you I think the first thing to say is that's a big national charity like Save the Children. We do work closely with local charities and it's really important. You know, there are charities that really know, you know, really build strong relationships with the families. And we see our responsibility to really back those charities. So we work with charities like Thrive Teesside and, you know, and many others right across the UK. But we also, what we want to do is to be able to sort of amplify those, those sort of messages and to be able to give, you know, children, families, sort of local charity workers, everyone doing a great job, a really, a really, a really powerful voice. Um, we're working together to try and join up support um, around sort of places so that people can come together, sort of schools, businesses, as you mentioned, charities and others, think about what can we all do together to really make a difference for children. And we're campaigning with, you know, with people like Marcus Rashford and others for the government to take more action on child poverty. So, um, so, so in answer to your question, I mean, you know, sort of sharing the stories, these kinds of opportunities, getting the conversation going, you know, the more that we're all talking and thinking about what makes for a good childhood, the more we'll, we'll all benefit and the more that, um, you know, those who have power will, I think, be forced um, to act on this. And, you know, for, for anyone, I appreciate it's a tough time for many people, but for anyone who does want to sort of help out and sort of um, make sure, make sure sort of help out families right here and now. Um, as I say, you know, our, our appeal with the mirror, we are raising funds and every, every penny of that is going directly to families who are having a tough time to make sure at least at the end of the year, you know, at Christmas, there's something to look forward to. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dan. I'll get a copy of the mirror and make sure we follow your campaign. And and thanks for joining us in the Tees Valley. Uh, we will uh, just remind us of your website if we want to find out a bit more about, about that. Yes, it's just uh, savethechildren.org.uk. Okay, savethechildren.org.uk. We will follow what you're doing and hopefully you'll follow what we're doing on the, in the Tees Valley and we'll stay connected because let's make sure that we end child poverty. It might not be tomorrow, but let's hope that in 10, 20 years' time we can see a Tees Valley in the UK eradicated of child poverty. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much. Last year, the Joseph Rowntree Foundation stated that one in three children live in poverty in the UK, and despite record employment, the number of children in poverty with working parents has now reached an all-time high of 72%. To find out more about how changes to government policies and contracts for British workers have affected poverty rates in the North East, I spoke to Beth Farha, who represents the Trade Union Congress in the North, representing a number of trade unions and workers across the North East and Cumbria. 
So the next person who I'm going to be speaking to this morning is Beth Farhat. Now, Beth Farhat works for the TUC, which is the Trade Union Congress. And I'm really keen to to speak to, to Beth this morning because we've spoke to charities, we've heard from people on the ground. Um, but the problem is poverty is getting worse in the Tees Valley not better and and although we've seen some marginal increases in employment we haven't actually seen any change in in the number of people in poverty and children uh, are becoming basically we have we are having more children in poverty so uh, hello beth are you on the are you on the call i am hi jess thanks for having us on oh listen really good to, to have you here and uh how how's things uh north of the region i know we're we're bringing in an outsider today <laughs> <laughs> we're bringing in our geordie friends so. <laughs> yeah yeah um much the same as they are in the south probably i think you know lots of challenges ahead you know lots of it's coming up to Christmas, so it's a really worrying time, I think, for for families and, and and working people. And obviously, we've just heard the announcement from Arcadia about the potential job losses and on our high streets even more. So I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very somber time at the moment, isn't it? And a, an opportunity to reflect, but also think about how we how we make this right and build the economy again for the future. Oh, totally. Because I mean, you represent basically the workplace don't you people in the workplace and just looking at either the TUC uh, is about making the world of work better for people so so really challenging times for you and and I know um we're talking this morning about child poverty um but I mean child poverty is a problem of poverty isn't it like children are going hungry because we've got a problem that people don't have enough food and they don't have enough food because they don't have enough money which is what's taken me to your door really because I've spoke to charity leaders I've who've got ideas of how we can end poverty by giving children food and giving them food hampers but there's a deeper issue going on here isn't there um there's there's reasons why people are in poverty Uh, could you have any thoughts on it I mean yeah I think I mean child poverty was once due to have been ended in the UK by 2020. But instead, you know, we know 4.2 million children um, were grown up, uh, you know, are grown up kind of poor in our country, including more than um, 200,000 across the northeast. So even before COVID, uh, you know, COVID-19, um, we had, you know, big, big numbers of, of child poverty anyway, um, you know, outside of central London, put it put it that way. You know, poverty rates I think reflect both economic circumstances and policy choices. Uh, you know, and the UK is actually amongst the um the countries where changes to policy have contributed, um, to major um increases in 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 child poverty, if you like. So so what you what you mean by that, Beth? So like you're saying like basically policies have made people poorer. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, well, we know poor economic choices have increased child poverty. So for us, some of the key factors would be, um, you know, some of our analysis shows that the government policies account for the majority of the increase in in-work poverty, okay? And a consequence of that is obviously 
an increase in child poverty. So for us, some of the factors are things like the fact that we've seen very weak wage growth, uh, particularly since sort of 2010 and the Conservatives came into to government. We've seen a huge um, explosion and spread of insecure work. So people not having guaranteed incomes, guaranteed hours. Um, we've seen a population growth as well. We've seen the number of uh, working households um while the stats say there are more people in work now, the reality is it hasn't been enough to lift families out of poverty because we haven't seen an, an increase in um, the minimum wage to a decent living wage. And there is far too much, I guess, insecurity across the, across the labour market as a whole. Um, and and that's that's the reality. And when you speak to education unions like the NAU, for example, um, they did a really good piece of research on this uh, recently with Ian Lavery, actually. Um, and that looked at, you know, child poverty in schools and what teachers are seeing through their eyes, children coming to school hungry, teachers using their own money and resources to to, to buy food and clothes and putting on their own sort of breakfast clubs and paying for it and supporting kids right across the northeast. So it's a massive issue. And obviously we know that if you're not fed, you're not motivated, you're not, you know, you're hungry, you, you can't learn. And that that experience has a massive impact on your ability to get a good education and, and move on, if you like. So how's the next generation of workers or, you know, supposed to get that support if they're not fed and, and nourished? So it's a bit, it's a bit like a cycle. Then, Beth, you go to school hungry, you can't concentrate. Yeah. You start failing in school, then you know obviously failure rates in school have got a high proportion that you you you're going to end up in insecure work mm. and and at the kind of bottom end of the labour market. Yeah. So so actually, what we're saying is that if we can't lift children out of poverty, then 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 we are going to see cyclical poverty and we're not going to stop the we're not going to stop the cycle no. till we do something no exactly so what would you so what would you do uh, okay you've got a magic yeah. wand um to, like what and what what would what could the tease valley what could happen here that would really change and, and start to lift children out of poverty is it possible it's got to be a belt and braces approach there needs to be some kind of national policy changes as well um just as well as regional so i think in 2016 the conservatives abolished the child poverty act and scrapped targets to reduce poverty which was a massive mistake you know we need a target and a direction for everyone to work towards you know but the government needs to put work and families first, not wealthy donors and like hedge funds. Um, so we would we would ask to see an increase in the minimum wage to ten pound an hour. We would ask to stop and scrap universal credit and make it fit for purpose. At the moment, it's far too difficult. Uh, ban zero hour contracts, but also give workers rights to join trade unions and bargain for uh, better pay conditions right across all industries would be, you know, a great starting point. And if we think about it in the context of COVID as well, Jess, if you are, you know, a parent and your child has to um, self-isolate and you, you know, or you have to self-isolate, you know, you don't get sick pay or you get statutory sick pay, which works out £13 a day, that, you know, you're not going to genuinely self-isolate when you know that your children are going to go without if you're on a minimum wage job with no... um no rights other than basic sort of sick pay so we want to see statutory sick pay increased to that of the of the living wage so there i guess they're kind of big policy asks we could we could do 
But I do think, though, at a devolved level, IPPR North did some great work looking at devolution and child poverty, Jess. And one of the things um, that was suggested was to make sure that child poverty is at the heart of any future devolution deals and current ones, but make um, make child poverty a, a genuine, I guess, priority for combined authorities, supporting workers in the region into good quality employment. Um, and we've got this, um, well, forever promised employment bill coming up soon, Jess, I think next year with the government. So it's an opportunity for us, all of us, to put pressure on the government and lift employment standards. But actually, we need childcare to be affordable and accessible to, to everybody um you know no child in britain in the northeast should be growing up uh, you know in poverty and you know many many parents are struggling to feed and clothe their kids and that's not right well listen beth it's been really really good speaking to you um and you, and you're absolutely right uh, in this day and age to think that there are children out there that are going hungry just doesn't bear thinking about but it's unfortunately it's far too common and and i really thank you for bringing a different angle on on this really Jeanette Basinwood, a primary school teacher and award-winning happiness speaker, also asserts that child poverty is affecting working families. We discussed how there is a popular stigmatised view that only those receiving benefits are affected by food poverty. People think this is like a benefits thing, and I want to say, first of all, it's not necessarily, poverty isn't necessarily a benefits issue it's actually working poverty that i see more now where parents working they're on a minimum wage that they can afford the bills but food is a secondary luxury you know and in a world where weight loss products are are readily available it feels shocked inside that we as a society can't come together before marcus rashford we couldn't come together to actually say, do you know what child food poverty exists in the UK and let's do something about it. Some people have got this misconception. It's people on benefits who don't work. And you only had to watch the debate. There was the debate in Parliament a few weeks back and MPs were shouting down other MPs, basically saying these children and families shouldn't have food vouchers because they basically should be able to manage their own budgets. And it's, and it's the individual's problem not a societal problem. I mean, what on earth? If you've worked with people and families who are struggling, it's it's like there's this perception of that there's some, you know, people who don't have it together in their lives, they can't manage the budgets and they get enough, they just can't make it work and they're spending all the money on widescreen TVs. I mean, that just made yeah. me want to like, shout at the telly and just be like, these people have no idea. Mm. And do you know what? It's not just MPs, it's other people because... When I set up my charity five years ago, I actually lost friends because people said to me, how ridiculous, they all smoke, they all have a mobile phone. And my massive thing is, as a child, you don't choose where you're born into. You don't, you know, you're not up with the stalks or whatever you believe and you don't go, oh, do you know what, I'd like to be in the royal family. Oh, do you know what, I'd really like to be in deprivation and be starved for the initial 10 years of my life. And sometimes one of the things that I've learned in all of the things that I've done in my kindness kind of journey to happiness, like I've learned that you are only this far away from somebody in poverty yourself. Mm -hmm. and the COVID pandemic has taught people that lesson, like let's wake up and let's 
help each other instead of waiting for some miracle person. And, and, and you know, Marcus Rashford has brought this to light. I, I think to me, he, he stood up and he said, I was one of those children, you know, and when the MPs were discussing that in October, you know, one of them said, there's always been child food poverty as a flip comment. Well, shame on you. My patron is, is from um, the Tees Valley, Tom Housen is the patron of the charity. And I said, he was like, Jeanette, what's your dream? And he's like a big business man. And I'm like, I want to solve child food poverty. Some people dream big for the Ferraris they want. Some people dream big because they want, you know, their business to have... 10 million pounds in year three yeah. why not dream big for actually we want every child in the Tees Valley to not go hungry what would happen if more people dreamed like you Jeanette tell us a little bit about what you were doing before but what actually happened over the last few weeks as well oh um for, for five years now we've provided food hampers because I'm a teacher I know that schools know who the families who need food are. Schools just know, because primary schools, I personally think more than secondary. So um, I would know in my class, I know in my current class, like who needs more food than other people, okay? Um, because you can see, you can see it. It's, it shows, it shows in development, it shows in, in educational work, it shows in sports. And so we provide food hampers just before the holidays direct to schools so then the school give it to the family so for me there's no shame there's no having to be you know assessed or given tokens you literally receive a gift or a prize of a bag of food <laughs> and for me it's it hit the schools that we've fed for five years for example are now showing signs of children thriving because mm -hmm. we've been giving this food consistently and that's the other part of it. To assess a school um, and to assess the need, we use the Adachi Index because obviously there is so much child food poverty within the country. If a school comes to us and says, we need hampers, then we use an Adachi index. It's a government-linked poverty index. So you put in your postcode of your school. That tells us, as a charity, that which band you are in. There's 10 bands of poverty, one being the lowest. In the lowest band of poverty in the UK, there's around 3,000 schools in the lowest band of poverty, which is poverty band one. Each school in a band one poverty zone would need 150 hampers per school to feed their families. So we, that's, that's our schools that we work with um, in Redcar, in Middlesbrough, in Hartlepool, in Billingham, in Washington, and so on. They get their need to feed their families 150 hampers per mm. school. That's, that's, the, that's the level of this. Um, and for me, it's all about, we would love to feed people who are in band four, like a need 15 hampers, for example, but we want to hit the lowest poverty band. So for us, you need to be in either one, two or three. And, 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 and that's how we assess you on that index. So for me, it is the solution to child food poverty. What are the groups who are providing this support every day? 
I spoke to Mark Hawkins and some of his team over at the White Feather Project, who provide food parcels and any extra support that is needed over a brew to families in North Ormsby and was given a tour of their community shop. Hello, what everyone. <laughs> what we've got here, Jesse, this, this is our, uh, our cleaning station, sanitising station. Everything that comes through the door, whether it's a present or whether it's food, gets sanitised by the girls. Um, so what's your name, Chris? Yes, yes. How many presents do you think you've wrapped in? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. hundred. That may be two hundred selection boxes. Brilliant. Oh, absolutely brilliant. And why did you come here? Why are you doing this? Um, I suppose I met Mark. He's tenacious, inspirational, he's a good communicator and he makes you want to work. Oh. Gets bossy sometimes though. <laughs> sometimes leaders have to be, <laughs> to get stuff done. Yeah. And are yeah. you from the local area? Yes, Normanby. Right. Yeah. Amazing. So these are all going to get wrapped up on Christmas Day. Find themselves in the homes of people across the Tees Valley. Some lovely, lovely gifts. Oh, I like that. Is that a dinosaur egg? Dinosaur egg. <laughs> in a bucket of water and it grows. Big it goes egg. into a dinosaur. I might add that to my Christmas list. <laughs> this is Louise. This is the other member of staff. Now, what Louise does, Louise makes sure that they're all in order and they're all in teenage girls, you know, all in age groups, all the presents, so we can come in and we can say, right, okay, we'll put that one in the van. We need that one out. We need that one out. So you've got girl three, teenage girl there, toiletries and gift bags. And then we've got all the selection boxes, which Santa's going to be giving out as well with, with every present. I mean, I'll just ask you a bit more of a deeper question, really. Like, how do you feel that you've got so many families that are going to need this? Um, I mean, Middlesbrough's like... It's one of the most deprived, for children, most deprived children in the country. It is, yes. And, you know, it hurts me. I've got kids myself. And I think, you know, that, that it's all right those people sat in Parliament and they're all discussing this and discussing that. They want to get themselves down here and have a look. Come down and have a look like you do, Jesse. Come down and have a look. See the real, the real world, you know. This is what we're living in every day. And this, this is what they should be coming out and have a look. The likes of your, you know, your, your politicians in Middlesbrough, even. You know, who just sit in the office? They don't bother coming out and seeing places like this. Mm. This is what it's about. This is a real life story. Mm. You know, it's not something that's hidden behind a curtain. This is happening every day in Middlesbrough, mm. and there's not only us doing it. There's other charities doing it as well. Mm. Mm. I mean, thank God for charities like you. You said see the real world as well. What did yeah. you mean when you when you said well, that? They just sat there and they'd make things up and then say, "All right, we're going to do this. We're going to do that," but they don't. Empty promises, that's all it is. Empty promises. So, Louise, you just said there about the real world. You work here, uh, you're helping with these um, presents. I've been a volunteer since June. Yeah, since the beginning of, of opening up, yeah. Yeah, um, I just walked past and I'm on benefits myself. But I said to Mark, I said, do you need a donation? I brought a little donation. I asked if he needed volunteers. And my daughter should be coming in the door any minute now because she volunteers as well. Mm. And But, yeah, the politicians, they're full of empty promises. And I feel sorry. I feel sorry as well. But I know friends that are struggling. And I can manage, but some people can't. So, yeah, my little bit of, like, helping. And what do you think politicians could do? Some of them will listen to this podcast. What would you want What would you want them to do, Louise? What, yeah. would, you, what would you want? Get down here, see what's going on. Mm -hmm. But yeah. they're not the other. 
got blinkers on. Mm -hmm. They've got blinkers on. They don't want the north. It's all right seeing them. When it comes up to an election, they'll come round. But other times, they don't want to know. So. Yeah. Um, so, Louise, you, you said about kind of. Um, we have, yeah, we have people that come here that's been furloughed, zero contract wage, They're struggling. Mm. With all the shops being closed, this is the only place they've got to because they can't afford to go to a mainstream supermarket. We help them. I mean, some of the politicians, their argument when they voted against feeding children at holidays was saying that it's because people aren't managing the money better and they're buying widescreen TVs. What do you think of that? I had a, I had a, an argument um, live on BBC Tees. I won't say an argument, I had a discussion. Live on BBC Tees with um, one of our known, well-known politicians from the Middlesbrough area uh, who actually made that statement. Um, you know, they should be managing the money properly, they should be doing this, they should be doing that. Um, hang on a minute, you know, there's people out there that are managing the money properly the best they can with the money that they're getting. And, you know, for me, they should be coming down here and saying to them, look, we'll help you a little bit more, instead of turning around and closing the door on them. Because that's what they're doing, they're closing the door on them. We have people on drugs, we have people uh, who can't afford to shop, we have people that have got... Uh, too many children in the family, if you like, because that's their way of life, is to have more children to get more benefit, I suppose, which is, is okay, that's not correct, it's not politically correct, but at the same time, it happens, and that's their way of life, that's the way of being, that they've came through the system, but the system's not helping them, and that's what it's about, Jesse, this system that we've got at this moment in time is not helping them. We need someone to make a change, and I think, I think you could do it, definitely. In Middlesbrough. Well, I think all of us together can make the change. It's never about mm -hmm. one person. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for showing me around, meeting the team, giving me an insight. Some of the things we, we know is happening, but I think having the ability just to speak to people and hopefully people listening at home will stand with us and make a change like it's not about one person is it it's about all of us standing together well that's right yeah it's it's, a, it's about our local government as well you know and like I, you know i keep saying this i keep saying to all of them pop in and see us you know you know um just pop in and see us and, and even your local councillors come and see us you know we don't close the door on you come and see us and, and meet us and see what it's about see what we're doing mm. we're trying to make a difference we want them to make a difference as well mm. Well, we'll keep fighting. Thank you so much for showing us round and uh, I'll definitely be back as soon as I can. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Thank you very much. I started out on this journey trying to understand if we can tackle and end child poverty in the Tees. And following the conversations, I feel both challenged and inspired. Inspired by the many people, communities and businesses who have stepped up, who have taken action to ensure our children don't go hungry. And I think that's the heart of Teesside people. We're a compassionate people. But at the same time, it's clear that actually some of these issues can't be fixed by one project or one business or one community, that there are some systemic issues, issues to do with pay, to do with our welfare system, that clearly need fixing if we're really to end child poverty. So we will continue to do what we do at the Tees, which is championing our community causes and our culture. But at the same time, we all need to do more to challenge government and decision makers.
But I also believe that together we can make those changes and we can influence our decision makers to do more. So so join with us on the journey. And if you found you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review. For more of our content, head over to thetease.online or to catch up with the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at The Tease Online. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, see you soon.